Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome year so far. Welcome to 2022. This is the first Sunday service of the year for us. I want to say a huge shout out to everybody who made it to the service today. That was really cool to see you. It's awesome to start the year off with the church fam. So thank you so much for being there. And thank you so much for listening. It's super cool that you would take some time to download this and and check it out and uh, be interested in what we're up to. Uh, We're going to jump right in to the content. And I'm going to do something that I never get to do. I'm actually going to throw it to myself. Take it away, Jarrett. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. How's it going? Yeah. I know it's weird. It's, it's after the second song. You're not used to seeing me quite so fast, but you can go ahead and have a seat. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Ha, ha, different. Ha. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> okay. Uh, first of all, good morning and happy new year. It's awesome to see you all. Yeah, clap it up. You made it to church today. Okay, so... We're going to kind of take you on a little bit of a journey. Uh, this is something that we do sometimes, but not all the time. Uh, then We're going to play another song before Hannah comes out. Uh, but instead of like standing and rocking with it, just kind of sit, listen, vibe. If you know the song, you can sing along a little bit. Um, we're talking about new things and God making new things, even whenever new things sometimes don't feel all that new. Uh, so that's kind of where we're starting the journey. And then Hannah's going to take over. And then after the message, we're going to have a song that's going to kind of complete the journey and hopefully move us from feeling stuck to feeling ready to go. I know I was like, yeah, 2022, I'm super excited. Like the last terrible thing of 2021 happened. Betty White, right? Just a few more weeks. Anyway, after that happened, I was like, well, maybe, maybe we're in for good things now. And then my sister called me at like... 1240 January 1st and she's like I have terrible news and this has been a year of terrible news so I was like prepared for the worst and she says Joe Gatto's leaving Impractical Jokers <laughs> which is terrible news like that's like our favorite show it brings us so much joy and uh, I don't know I was ready for like things to get better but then it felt like maybe they weren't and so that's kind of where we're gonna take this song from, all right? So enjoy it. It's uh, by Death Cab. It's called The New Year.
It's the new year, and what if we did a death cap song? And I was like, what do you mean, what if? Are you asking me if we can do a death cap song? Because we can do death cap songs every single Sunday until I die. Because it's my favorite band, and if you want to know what I was like as a teenager, just listen to death cap. <laughs> Nothing has changed. Nothing. And if you don't know who death cap is, just, you know, it's it basically, it's like the, like Jesus, and the, no, I won't say that. <laughs> So, does anyone feel any different? Oh. <laughs> Everyone feels the same. Great. <laughs> so, in true uh, different church fashion, we are going to have a passage from Revelation today, chapter 21, because nothing says New Year like the end of the world. So, let's read together, <laughs> and we shall discuss. This is Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. This is John talking. He's the writer of Revelation. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. Side note, the sea is important. We'll come back to that later. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will dwell with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. This is the question I want you to ponder today. When was the last moment in your life when you said, this is new? And I don't mean like you got a new car and had like a backup camera. <laughs> or like you ate a meal and you're like, I've never tasted these combination of spices before. 
that's like pointing us in the right direction, but I mean like some, something life-changing, like a major life experience where you're like, well, everything's different now. Like a birth or a marriage or recovering from a long illness you didn't know you were gonna recover from or someone new coming to live with you permanently. I could list like way more things, but I listed those four specifically because those are the metaphors that John uses in this passage. It's almost like I planned this. <laughs> so verse seven, which is right after the passage we read today, says, I will be their God and they will be my children. A new birth. And then the holy city, we have this image of Jerusalem coming down dressed like a bride, a wedding. We have no more death or weeping or pain anymore, recovering from the great illness of death and sin. And then we have central to the whole picture, God coming to live among us, a new permanent guest staying with us all the time. These are all symbols. Symbolism is tricky because it's like this. This is what we're saying when it's like, well, it's like, um, it's like a marriage, but also not at all like a marriage. <laughs> it's like a birth, but also not at all like a birth. Like we're trying with our limited language. John's trying to describe the magic of what will happen when God fixes it. Finally, and all he can come up with is things that we have experienced in our lives. So it's pointing us in the right direction, but we have to say with John, was like this, but more? It's like this, but also we're at a loss for words because how can you describe something infinite with words, which are finite? Doesn't mean we shouldn't try. The newness, like the new heaven and the new earth are going to be new in a new way. Just say that 10 times fast. Newness itself will be renewed. So how can we even imagine what that looks like when we haven't seen it yet? Because it's new. It doesn't exist. And God said in verse 5, I am making all things new. All things. We have the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the new temple, which is actually the same thing as the new Jerusalem because there is no temple in the city anymore because the whole city is the temple. And last but not least, a new people. People who have woken up to find themselves at last beyond the reach of death and tears and pain. It says the first things have passed away. Well, what are the first things? The painful things, the hard things, the hopeless things, the frustrating things, they had their time. And now a new era is born of life and joy and wholeness. And I think, I grew up Pentecostal, so like the end times were like, man, we went hard on those so that was like our bread and butter. Like I can count on one hand in a year, like the, the times that the end of everything was not mentioned on a Sunday. Like this was very important to my church growing up. And we, so many Christians have read Revelation expecting the final scene to be a picture of heaven. But I think in doing that, we actually kind of failed to see the magic of what John is saying because we have spent so many theological years imagining what heaven could look like once this crap is wiped out, which has done us no favors. Like, I feel like this theology has instilled in us a lack of appreciation for the earth that we have, for the existence that we have. It's given us a lack of wanting to care for our creation. It's given us a lack of wanting to care for each other and our global family. And I can, I can draw the line, right? It's taken our inherent knowledge that something is wrong with this world. And we've turned it into a desire to escape our world entirely. 
it's almost as if we believe our world is somehow beyond salvation, beyond fixing, beyond renewal. And when we think that, it becomes very easy to then think that we ourselves are somehow beyond salvation and beyond renewal and beyond healing because we're part of this world. We even write songs about it. There's songs like, I'm going up to the spirit in the sky. That's where I'm going to go when I die. When I die and they lay me to rest, I'm going to go to the place. That's the best. I should have Dave come. <laughs> this is a missed opportunity. Where's Dave when I need him to make drums for my semi-okay singing? If you grew up Pentecostal like me, you maybe heard this song. Aaron, you probably have heard this song. The one that's like, some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. Amen. I'll fly away. Uh, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> fly away, oh glory. We, I mean, we, I had a tambourine, y'all. <laughs> like, we had them foot stomping good times to that song. And I get it. I, I like that song. It sounds great, right? This life, <laughs> there's something better coming. Isn't this wonderful? We have something to look forward to. But it, it speaks to something that really is harmful, I think. Like, I truly get it. If you take a glance at the world, like, not like a good long look, just like a peep, you're going to see that it's kind of messed up. It's pretty obvious. Like, we see the pain of existence. We know deep down the injustice in the world. We know the pain. We see the suffering, and we participate in it. And we know it shouldn't be like this which leads us to see our earth and our time and our place as being the shabby, second-rate, temporary dwelling that we will be thrilled to leave and say good riddance as we move on to the perfect world, which is heaven. Now, let's think about this. If you slow down and really read Revelation, you will see that heaven is not a perfect place either. And before you, if you're feeling panicked, okay, take a breath. It's okay. We're going to walk through it together, okay? Earth, throughout the whole book of Revelation, earth is pictured as part of God's glorious creation. It is not pictured as a trash heap that is going to burn forever. And then God's going to start over. Heaven is also the place where the sea of glass exists. And the sea of glass is the place where evil is housed in heaven. So much so that there is actually a war in heaven. If you read Revelation. So no matter what you've been taught about how awful earth is and how perfect heaven is, it seems that earth is not actually the only thing that needs renewing. God's dwelling place also needs renewing because there is evil contained there as well. And if you want to go Old Testament and you're feeling very literal about Lucifer, where do you think the war in heaven came from? People saying, I don't want this. I'd do this better myself. And God was like, okay, bye. And then... That's a paraphrase. <laughs> when the renewing is done, at the end of Revelation, when God finally puts things to right, we are not left with only a new heaven where everything on earth is wiped away and destroyed, but a new heaven and a new earth that are joined together completely and fully for eternity. 
It says in verse 3 that God will dwell with them. The word dwell is very crucial because if you were reading this as an early Christian, that would cause you to remember that God dwelled with his people in the temple in Jerusalem. God's home was in the temple. God's glory was in the middle of God's people. The Gospel of John in the New Testament says that the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelled among the people. And we were able to look on God's glory. What God did in Jesus coming to an unknowing, unappreciative, it's kind of a mild way to put it, unappreciative world, God is now doing on a cosmic scale. God is coming to live forever in the middle of people as a healing and comforting and celebrating presence. And when we think about our future hope for the world, it's not an apocalypse. It's an incarnation. We talked about Advent, um, during Advent, about incarnation, the process of being seen, that through Jesus, God took the risk of being seen for who God truly was, a healing and comforting and celebrating presence. And when heaven and earth are joined together in Jesus, we get a preview of heaven and earth being joined together fully and forever. This is why the closing scene in the Bible is not a vision of human beings going up to heaven and abandoning earth. It's also not a vision of Jesus coming down from heaven. In fact, it is a vision of the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth, which might be confusing if you've been paying attention because... The new Jerusalem is the bride of Christ, which is made up of the people of God, which are in heaven or on earth. They're on earth, right? How can they also have been in heaven? Now, this gets a bit mystical to think about, but honestly, okay, keep up, because many of our Christian beliefs are quite mystical. We've just had a lot, a lot of practice thinking about them. So they become normal, like the virgin birth and miracles and all this stuff. It's wonderful. We've had a lot of practice thinking it's normal. Communion, kind of weird. <laughs> We've had practice and it's meaningful to us. So let's use the same lens to look at this. Paul says in Colossians 3.3 3, that our life is hidden with the Messiah in God. This is a clue. It seems as when somebody belongs to Jesus... When they are a person of faith, they continue with their life on earth, but are also given a fresh gift, a new life from God that exists in the heavenly reality that will be revealed at the last day. And there are some heaven scenes in Revelation that like, I mean, we have movies now, so I don't know if they'd be that impressive to us, but like to the people who read this for the first time, those were like knock their socks off. These heavenly scenes, these descriptions of the most beautiful, powerful, breathtaking place, and we have them in Revelation 5 and 7 and 19, and in these images, there's this massive, uncountable number of people standing around God's throne in heaven, and they're all singing happy songs, and they're shouting with praise, and they're celebrating, and they're full of joy. And actually, that heavenly reality is the one that corresponds to our reality in church, here on earth where people are so excited in heaven and just, just belting out songs, is that's what shows up in heaven when we're like, bless the Lord, all my soul, in church. There's also these images of our prayers, our most feeble, hurried, distracted, 
all the prayers that were like, okay, God, I have to apologize before I talk to you because it's been a while and I'm just going to go down the list of things that I would like you to do for me. All the prayers, everyone, all of them, any kind of communication with God, no matter how distracted, shows up in heaven as a beautiful incense that is burning brightly and gives a wonderful scent to the whole throne room. It seems like one day this heavenly reality is going to be revealed. The newness of the vision is not a matter of God throwing away the first creation and trying again. You're not supposed to get this image of the flood where God was like, oops, made a mistake, wipe it out. <laughs> just try again, let's try again. If you first you don't succeed, try, try again. We'll just drown everyone, it's fine. That's a superficial impression of Revelation. Because what we see in the last two chapters, Revelation 21 and 22, is not the destroying of the world. It's the transformation of heaven and earth by means of God abolishing from inside both heaven and earth everything that has to do with the tragic and horrible and terrible effects of sin and death. So then, if you think about this, the new world will be like the present one in the sense of its being a world full of beauty and power and delight and tenderness and the glory of God. In this new world, the temple, which was properly there in heaven and properly here on earth in Jerusalem, right? It's not going to exist. Not because it was a dumb idea for God to live with people, but because the temple was the advanced model. The temple was a preview, just like Jesus is a preview. The temple was a preview of God saying, I will live in the middle of you even though y'all are questionable. <laughs> it's the advanced model of God's plan for the entire cosmos that will finally be realized. The new world will be like the present world, but without all the features, particularly death and tears and everything that causes them, that make the present world what it is. That's what it's meant. I said, put the C in your packet, right? This is what is meant by saying there's no more sea. In Revelation verse 1, 21 verse 1. Through Revelation, as in much of the Bible, much of the Bible, the sea is this dark force of chaos that threatens God's plans and God's people. This makes sense if you read the Bible with your ancient eyes on, right? Because the Israelites are a desert people. They are not a sea people. So the sea was very threatening to them. It would be like trying to get in the pool if you can't swim nervous. They were very, like the Philistines in the Old Testament, they were a seafaring people and Israelites had many insults for them. <laughs> Which I could repeat and we would be like, that's not really an insult. Apparently it was very, very offensive back in the day. But they, so anytime they associate with the sea, like in the book of Jonah, in in Exodus, God is always taming the water. God is always taming the storms, right? Because the sea is something that threatened the existence of the Israelite people. And so this metaphor of the sea we find again in Revelation because it makes sense and it is where all the monsters come from. It's where the evil is in heaven and it's contained. The first monster in Revelation comes from the sea as well. Now, when I say it's contained in heaven, I mean it's contained as in it's kind of part of the furniture, it's there, and also it's contained in that there is a strict boundary on how much evil can do. It's only allowed to do enough to bring about its own downfall. 
But in the new creation, there won't be any more sea. There won't be any more chaos. There won't be any more places where monsters can emerge. Chaos will be gone for good because evil will have destroyed itself. I need an amen. That's good news, y'all. <laughs> you can come back up. I'm going to like wrap this up before I get a little preachy. Okay. New year, new caffeine. <laughs> In the last verse of our passage, God speaks and says this, I am making all things new. It could also be translated, I am renewing all things. Up until now in the book of Revelation, the person who sits on the throne has been mentioned only obliquely. Like there's talking, like God is talking in Revelation, but only through an angel or through a voice from heaven or through Jesus. This is the first time at the very end of the book that the person who is on the throne speaks directly. And God addresses John the writer and through John, all of the Christ followers who are listening. And actually, it seems like the personal address from God is part of the newness. It's an example of things being made new already. Just like in verse 4, when God himself will wipe away all the tears from all the eyes. Which is an act of, gosh, I can't even imagine. An act of utter gentleness and kindness and empathy and care. Performed not by some heavenly assistant manager, but by God. By the being that actually cares enough to wipe tears away from the uncountable masses around the throne. Individually. Not all at once. Not all like a, you're good now. Individually, each person. God directly is involved and cares and participates in the renewal of every individual soul. And then the earth. And then the heaven. So, like... When was the last time you thought, this is new? Has it been a while? Has the stress of jobs and family and COVID and relationships and student loans and adulting, have they taken all the sparks of hope and renewal out of your heart? Are you theoretically happy that 2022 is here? But on the inside, you're like, so this is the new year, and I don't feel any different, except more tired because I stayed up too late. Has it been a while since you noticed how constantly and how intimately God is with us right here and right now in this earth, in this time, in this place, with us? I feel like paying attention to the face of God, the glory of God with us when God dwells with us, that's really hard when we barely have enough attention to, we barely have enough energy to pay attention to life. And yet, God dwells with us there too. In our inattention and in our burnout, in our celebrations and our laughter, when we wake up in the morning, when we're drowning our sorrows, when we're avoiding each other, when we're manic, when we weep, God is here all the time. God is here through all of that. 
God is here to give renewal and to wipe away all tears, to continue the process of making us new that has already started. And when we are made new, then the world is made new. It's a foreshadowing of the peace and wholeness to come when there will be no more death and no more suffering and no more pain. We have two more songs. So if you want to stand with us and sing, and I will end on the words of the last verse, which is God speaking. It says, and then the one on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Mm -hmm.